Taiwan reported 15 local COVID infections on Thursday. 13 are part of a new cluster in Kaohsiung. This cluster originates at a chemical plant, but it also includes one plant worker's teenage daughter. The teen's homeroom teacher and classmates have been placed in isolation as testing gets underway for the rest of the school. Parents pull suitcases into the school. Earlier in the day, they were informed that their children would need to be isolated. The infected student was in the same class as my grandson. They're all in isolation. They said she had to go to a quarantine center. Early in the morning, this high school in Kaohsiung's Tianjin district filled up with cars and tour buses from Xiaogang Hospital. Unease was palpable on campus after a student was diagnosed with COVID. All her classmates have tested negative and will be isolated. All of the students in the school won't be allowed to leave until they test negative. Altogether, there are 2,413 faculty, other staff and students. Tests are still pending for 809 of them, but no new cases have been detected so far. The infected student's mother is an employee of a local chemical factory where 11 workers have already tested positive for COVID. She had symptoms around March 17th. She works at a relatively small company. That's how this cluster formed. The cluster may have originated from a colleague who developed symptoms earlier, or perhaps from one who attended a wedding banquet on March 13th. One employee of the factory is a Tainan resident who commutes to Kaohsiung by train. The Tainan government released a list of 11 train services the patient had taken, urging all other passengers to get tested. Whether you took the EMU or the Zichang Express, if you had any overlap with the patient, you must pay special attention. His CT value was just 15.5, and he only recently developed symptoms. So he's a high-risk case. Already, the chemical factory cluster has 13 people. These cases were active in Kaohsiung's Tianjin, Fengshan, Sanming, and Zuoying districts, and one had recently attended a wedding banquet. Disinfection is underway in the affected areas, which include an elementary school in Tainan. The school suspended classes at noon for disinfection. Over in Kaohsiung, the high school with the infected student will remain closed until March 28. Health officials are investigating the outbreak in hopes of minimizing its impact to the tomb-sweeping festival holiday. Taiwan has purchased more than 2 million doses of the Novavax COVID vaccine. The health minister announced the order on Thursday, but said that the date of delivery had not been determined. Taiwan's vaccination rate currently stands at 83% for the first dose, 78% for the second, and nearly 50% for boosters. Novavax uses a protein subunit technology that's also in use with the domestically produced Medigen vaccine. In UK trials, Novavax was shown to be 89% effective against COVID-19. According to the manufacturer, this vaccine proved safe and effective for children as young as 12 years old. It had a lower rate of side effects, including fever, compared to mRNA vaccines like Moderna or Pfizer. The Novavax vaccine will need to obtain emergency use authorization from the FDA before it can be used in Taiwan. The end of the war in Ukraine could be near, and Taiwan's GPS technology could be key to Russia's fall. That's according to former Soviet officer Agil Rostomzad, who spoke recently to Japanese media outlet Asahi Shinbun. In an exclusive interview, the ex-officer said that due to a string of global sanctions and embargoes, Russia can no longer import Taiwan-made GPS receivers. 
He said that once this key technology was used up, Russia's military would lose much of its missile strike capabilities. In a report by Japan's Asahi Shimbun, a former Soviet officer assessed the latest developments in the Russia-Ukraine war. He said that, under pressure from various sanctions and embargoes, Russia was likely to run out of resources within two weeks and fail in its campaign against Ukraine. According to the ex-officer, Russia will soon lose access to made-in-Taiwan GPS technology that allows missiles to strike their target. Taiwan's GPS receivers first distinguished themselves on the battlefield during the Gulf War. The U.S. military used our handheld GPS units, which were of great use to them in that war. Today we can see from the publicly available information that many Russian aircraft and military vehicles, including those on the ground, also use GPS receivers from this particular Taiwanese brand. See the machines produced by this production line over here. Whether you're flying in the sky, sailing or boating, or fighting in the Gulf War, all the machines you could possibly use are designed by this factory here in Taiwan. The former Soviet officer said he was not optimistic about Russia's prospects in the war. Severe trade sanctions have raised the cost of Russia's invasion beyond what its economy can bear, according to the source. He said that the Russian army was still using weapons from World War II and leaning more on infantry and tanks rather than precision-guided weapons. It's like Ukraine is fighting an information-based battle in the 21st century, or a war in a digital battlefield, while Russia has returned to World War II and is fighting a mechanized war. That is very unfavorable for Russia. Now in its 29th day, the Russia-Ukraine war continues to rivet the world. Taiwan's GPS technology could prove key to its future. Shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, a Taiwanese photographer packed up his bags and headed to the war zone with his camera. Zhang Qianqi, an acclaimed photographer based in Austria, went to Ukraine to document a nation under siege. His images have been shared online, giving the world a harrowing look at the faces of war. The atmosphere is solemn at this church ceremony from soldiers killed in war. Troops pay tribute to their brothers in arms as family members mourn their dead. These striking images were taken in Ukraine by Taiwanese photographer Zhang Tianqi. On March 7th, he sent a text message saying that he had been in Ukraine for three days. He said that as a Taiwanese living abroad, he wanted to go and witness the Ukrainian people's resistance against Russia's invasion. He saw that the Ukrainians were united as one, and he was very moved. He said he wanted to do this because if he didn't do it, he wouldn't have been able to breathe, he said. Zhang is the only Taiwanese member of the Magnum Photos, an international photographic cooperative. He's most famous for a series titled The Chain, which captures life at Longfa Tang Temple, where mentally ill patients are chained together in pairs. Another work is on Vietnamese women recruited by marriage brokers, and another is on North Korean defectors. Zhang also documented Hong Kong's anti-extradition bill movement Last year, his work was awarded by the Teiko Technology Foundation. He returned to Taiwan to accept the honor. I consider myself very lucky to have escaped from danger so many times that I'm able to continue on with the documentary work I want to do and need to do. When Russia invaded Ukraine, Zhang and his family were residing in Austria. After thinking it over for more than a week, he left behind his young son and daughter and headed into Ukraine carrying simple equipment. There he documented the faces of war, refugees leaving their war-torn homeland on a train bound for Poland, their expressions implacable. Unafraid of danger, Zhang is continuing to record the turning points of history. 
The defense ministry says it may extend Taiwan's compulsory conscription period from four months to one year. The policy will be evaluated within the year before a decision is presented to the central government for approval. Critics of the proposal include some university students who say the longer conscription would disrupt their career plans. Other critics say that the quality of conscript training matters more than its duration. Let's hear from the deputy defense minister. We've heard views from all parties. Based on current laws and the views of various groups, we are drafting a conscription proposal. We are approaching this issue from the angle of whether extending conscription would result in improved combat power. In addition, we're considering the rights and interests of everyone involved, and we will pay special consideration to those who haven't yet served. This is a national policy, and it's not a decision that the Ministry of National Defense can make on its own. Taiwan's conscripts served a period of three years until the 1990s, when conscription was cut to two years. It was shortened again in the year 2000, to one year and ten months. Since then, the service period has only gotten shorter and shorter. In 2013, it was reduced to just four months for males born in or after 1994. The European Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee has adopted a report that affirms Taiwan as a key partner in the Indo-Pacific. The report, which is on the EU's security challenges in the Indo-Pacific, was passed in a vote of 56 in favor, 8 against, and 12 abstentions. It states that Taiwan is a key partner and democratic ally in the Indo-Pacific. It emphasizes that the EU is opposed to any unilateral action that may undermine the status quo of the Taiwan Strait. Let's hear from the Taiwan's foreign ministry. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs extends its gratitude to the European Parliament Committee on Foreign Affairs for its resolute friendship with Taiwan. The European Parliament is scheduled to hold a plenary session in May to vote on this report, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs will keep watch for any developments. As a responsible member of the Indo-Pacific region, Taiwan will continue to work proactively and closely with the EU, EU member states and like-minded countries in the region to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait and in the Indo-Pacific region, as well as uphold the universal values of democracy, freedom, rule of law and human rights. The report can now proceed to the European Parliament's plenary for review. Back in February, the European Parliament already passed two resolutions on its security and defense interest in the Indo-Pacific. Both resolutions underscored the EU's concern over the Taiwan Strait and over China's acts of military provocation against Taiwan. More than 100 schools across the country have reported structural damage from Wednesday's 6.6 magnitude earthquake in Hualien. An initial estimate puts losses at $35 million after shocks from the earthquake are still being felt and experts warn of even greater seismic activity in the months to come. Led by Deputy Transport Minister Qin Wenzhong, officials including KMT lawmaker Fu Kunti inspected earthquake damage in Hualien on Thursday. The first stop was Yuxing Bridge. Following hours of rush repairs, the bridge reopened to vehicles at 10 o'clock the previous evening. Along the Yuchang Highway, a stretch of cracked road had been resurfaced, allowing traffic to resume. 
We will invite the Transport Ministry, the Ministry of the Interior, and the Hualien County Government to conduct a comprehensive review of all major public works and bridges in Hualien County. In the early morning of Wednesday, a 6.6 .6 magnitude earthquake struck off the coast of Hualien. Damage was reported at 155 schools across the country, with losses estimated at 35 million NT. Schools in Miaoli County were hit worst, accounting for some 40% of the losses. Kaohsiung came in second, with losses estimated at about 5 million NT. Here at Kaohsiung's Zhongxiao Primary School, cracks line the ceilings and steel bars sit exposed. More cracks can be seen in the columns and walls. Chipped-off tiles litter the floor, and damaged pipes run along the building. The school estimates earthquake damage at more than 2 million NT. This cement block is peeling. Because there are quite a few places with damage, the repairs will be more complicated and take a bit more time. Therefore, the cost will be greater. Wednesday's quake exposed the vulnerability of many of Taiwan's school buildings. Experts warn that there could be more strong tumblers ahead. The aftershocks that were reported struck at a depth of 20 to 40 kilometers, which is relatively deep, so we've yet to see a major earthquake that breaks through to the surface. There's a lot of energy under there. Every time this kind of quake happens, energy builds up at shallow faults. The expert says Wednesday's quake was caused by the activity of the Longitudinal Valley Fault, which has an active period of roughly 150 years. In 1951, several earthquakes of up to magnitude 7 occurred along this fault. The expert says that so far this year, the earthquakes have largely struck deep within the earth, leading to a buildup of stress that could spell greater damage to come. Tainan was hit by a blackout that affected more than 4,000 households on Wednesday. The incident was caused by a few small functions, according to Taiwan's economic minister. Speaking at the legislative grand, the minister defended the state-run Thai power, saying it had restored power within a matter of hours. She emphasized that Thai power was working to increase the stability of the grid and had already reduced the rate of incident from 21,000 to 8,900 last year. It's pitch black inside the store in the middle of the afternoon. On Wednesday, a blackout struck Tainan South District. Some 4,550 households were left without power for up to three hours. It was indeed a fuse malfunction. Sometimes malfunctions are caused by animals or by equipment malfunctions. Sometimes it's caused by external forces, natural disasters and so on. We went from 21,000 incidents a year to 8,900 incidents last year. The economics minister said that power grid incidents had become less frequent over the years. In related news, prosecutors announced this week that they will investigate the March 3rd blackout for arson or negligent arson. Every time there is a blackout, they say that there is no power shortage. They say the blackout was caused by a person or an animal. Right now, it seems as if these people and these animals are just scapegoats. Conspiracy theories have emerged, claiming that this blackout was caused by employee sabotage. We support an investigation into the matter. We believe that it was caused by a low-level error. So why did this happen? We want to understand whether, besides human negligence, there were other special factors at play. We completely respect all judicial investigations. Ruling and opposition lawmakers threw their support behind a probe into the March 3rd blackout. March 24th is World Tuberculosis Day. Across the world, doctors and leaders united to stamp out the deadly bacterial disease. 
This year, Taiwan officials celebrated the fact that tuberculosis rates fell 57 percent in Taiwan from 2005 to 2021. Officials from the Ministry of Health and Welfare join online with the heads of local health bureaus across the country. It's World Tuberculosis Day, and they want to raise awareness about tuberculosis prevention with the goal of eradicating the disease by 2035. From 2019 to 2020, global reported rates fell 18 percent, and Taiwan's reported rate fell 10 percent. That wasn't really because of COVID-19. We hope that by 2035, there will be fewer than 10 cases per 10,000 people. That's a realistic goal. Statistics show that in 2005, Taiwan saw 73 tuberculosis cases per 10,000 people. That number is decreasing. In 2021, there were just 31 cases per 10,000 people, a drop of 57 percent. But there were still 7,200 TB cases in Taiwan last year. To combat TB, the government is giving resources and medical passports to the over 65s, elderly care centers, indigenous citizens in rural areas and migrant workers. Currently, if any patient in Taiwan goes to a health center and is suspected to have a drug resistance, they can find out if that's true within just a few days through the CDC's test website. The CDC is urging people to remember that TB is not always obvious at first. The chronic disease can manifest as a cough to start with. If you cough for more than two weeks and lose weight or notice other TB symptoms, get tested as soon as you can to rule the disease out early. Due to the pandemic, the 17th International Exhibition for Young Inventors was held online last year. Taiwan's team at the virtual event competed alongside 159 exhibitors from nine countries around the world, bringing home 19 gold medals. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang met some of the gold medalists to learn more about their inventions. This is an automatic toilet paper dispenser. An Arduino microcontroller controls the dispenser, and an IR sensor activates the dispenser when the hand is detected. There's an Arduino thing in, in here, and then there's two motors rotating this part and this part. It's able to cure the toilet paper by controlling an electric motor that pulls back on it. It can also detect when the toilet paper roll is empty. This is the invention of a fifth grader named Zhang Jingrei. He said he wanted to help his grandmother and other older adults with his invention. It has helped my grandma a lot because one of her hands is injured and it, and it makes her really hard to tear the toilet paper. So I invented this to help the old people to easily collect tissue. There's also this invention, an exercise game machine. It helps train the user's core, back, and lower body. Users can play online games while working out. Just by changing the code, and you can apply it to any form of online games. The four panels here is for the first game. And the panels here, they're um, tapes that are conductive. So when they touch each other, it's like button pressing a button. And um, the button corresponds to um, to the game, so when you press it, it let me show you here. Um, like when you press a button, the corresponding um, letter will 
will be typed and then you can play the game online. Ten Xinyi hopes to encourage more people to exercise. Uh, uh, I'm a triathlete like since seventh grade and um, I've always liked sports but sometimes I found like it's um, tiring and boring while, while exercising. So um, in an Arduino class I thought that I can combine games with um, sports so that training can be more fun. The International Exhibition for Young Inventors was established to showcase inventions by children 6 to 19 years old. Competition categories include green technology, technology for special needs, education and recreation, foods and agriculture, health and safety, and disaster response and prevention. The Taiwanese team competed with 159 exhibitors from nine countries around the world. The team brought home 19 gold medals, 15 silver medals, 20 bronze medals, and two special awards. It is really not easy to conduct experiments and then build things based on the results. I admire them. When students really participate in that process, no matter what industry they go into in the future, they will bring that experience into their life and work. Due to the pandemic, the 17th International Exhibition for Young Inventors was held online last October. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Lu Botong in Taipei. An electric scooter company has developed a scooter battery station that can power up traffic lights in a blackout. The smart streetlight design uses scooter batteries to run streetlights and traffic signals in the event of a power cut. A battery slides into its charger and a choreography of battery changing unfolds. It's a familiar scene for electric scooter owners, but look a little closer. The charger is on an electricity pole and it's doing more than just providing a backup for scooters. When a power cut hits and the city is plunged into darkness, traffic cops step up to direct traffic at great personal risk. But now, battery charging stations can help. We've combined the battery changing cabinet with a smart street light. That means that when we have a power cut, the batteries in the cabinet can become a power source and feed power back, keeping the street light shining. As soon as power is lost, the battery in this charging station gives power back where it came from, allowing traffic lights to keep functioning normally and even lighting up street lights. It would help a lot in a real power cut, but the best solution is still to improve the actual power grid and not have power cuts, of course. Of course, I'd prefer not to have a power cut, but it's good if we have other solutions. The smart street light was developed by a scooter manufacturer in response to recent blackouts. If scooter battery stations don't just power electric vehicles, but help keep roads safer as well, they'll have even more reason to expand citywide.